Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of So I Married a Horror Fan. I am one of your co-hosts, Simon. And I'm Lee. And today we have a very special episode for all of you guys. Today we have some very special guests joining us, finally. They have finally <laughs> joined us by jumping over, over the fence and coming to our, our side of the playground. Um, we have the lovely young men, Seb and Robbie from uh, Cast Me to Hell. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, thank you. Yeah, we're uh, we're, we're here. We are stuck in. <laughs> <laughs> before we before we go any further into this world of pleasure and mostly pain, um, do you guys want to introduce yourselves to the uh, Samaritan horror fan audience? Let people know what what you guys are up to. Let them know a little bit about your uh, podcast. Did you fuck up our podcast name? <laughs> I didn't do that. <laughs> I'll so, you do not it, worse so. than I did it on our episode. So yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So there we go. We did our Hellraiser episode last week. Go go check that out a couple a while ago. Go and check out our Hellraiser episode, um, but not of this Hellraiser of the original Hellraiser. But our podcast. So um, we have been me and Rob have been friends since we were what well, I don't know. 13, 15, maybe. 15, maybe. <laughs> Lose track of time. Um, we have always been, and horror is what kind of bonded us together in the first place. We were at some kind of random hill party and just started talking, and it was just about horror, just about not watching a nightmare on Elm Street or yeah. Friday the 13th. And we just talked, ended up talking about it all night. That turned into basically every Friday night we were out hanging and drinking at my house, yeah. and that just became tradition, and horror was a main part of it. And then Robbie came up with the idea about two years ago of uh, maybe we should record these constant conversations we have all the time about horror. I was like, okay. Yes. So um, yeah, we're we're two best friends, I guess, <laughs> who um, love horror. And um, we like to aim for our podcast being kind of just just listening, having a beer with friends, kind of just chatting. We don't we don't tend to break us down or edit it or anything like that. We just release it as is, raw yeah. Roar as ever. <laughs> like Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and similar to you guys, you know, we, we do films when they're released. We do retrospectives. We do top fives like you guys do. So we do all sorts. Uh, but we're, we're really happy to be here. Obviously, we've had you, we had you on uh, a while ago and then we had you back for Hellraiser. So it's great to, to come on to your show and sleep, sleep over at your house as it is. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys mentioned that because before we dive into Hellraiser, I want to put you guys on the spot. I'm making it official now so you guys can't back out while we're on the air. I noticed a trend when we cross over with each other. We always tend to do reboots of like really popular old horror franchises. So we did Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're doing Hellraiser this time. So I'm thinking next time, 2013 Evil Dead for the uh, 10 year anniversary and Evil Dead Rise. Yeah. 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 We yeah. haven't done either of those. We haven't done. We haven't done. Well, we haven't done rise. I don't think we've done evil. No, we haven't done evil in 2013. So yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be a part of this. We do can. Want, do you want to try to first? We can make. Yeah, we can make this like a boys <laughs> night. Yeah, freeway. Boys night. Yeah, freeway slash sausage fest. <laughs> having a cold one with the deadites. Yeah, a cold one with the boys. <laughs> But if you start right, liking Evil Dead, join in. Yeah. <laughs> so before we, we get into this, I'll let you do, do the, the one part that you always do on every episode, Lee. The one thing that I'm good for. Okay, so... I've lost my page. So the film was directed by David Brockner. What film are we talking about? 
Hellraiser. Hellraiser. We've mentioned that numerous times. <laughs> Didn't feel the need to repeat myself. Just just in case someone came into the podcast late. You know, they might yeah. <laughs> Which Hellraiser? Do you not encourage him? Come to our podcast and encourage him. Yes. (laughs) You're going to be polite. (laughs) Um, Written by Ben Collins, Luke Petrowski. I'm going with it. And David S. Goya. And then cast wise, we have. I've just clicked on one of their faces. Did not mean to do that. (laughs) So I've got, for fuck's sake, Adessa Azeon. Adessa Azion. Yeah, sure. Adessa Azion. <laughs> as Riley. Jamie Clayton as the priest. Adam Adam Faison. Faison? Faison. Whatever. As Colin. Drew Starkey as Trevor. Brandon Flynn as Matt. Oh, I can't pronounce Irish names. Aoife Hines. Aoife, thank you. It's Aoife. It sounds good. It's Aoife, okay? It's Aoife. As Nora. Uh, Jason Lyles, uh, no, Lyles as the chatterer. Yinky, oh my god, Yinka. Oluruminuf. Yeah, as the weeper. Selena Lowe as the gasp. Zachary Hing as the asphyx. And then that's kind of it, really. Oh, Goran Viznik as Voight. Yeah. Fucking pulled that one out of my ass. Yeah, you did. Viznik, <laughs> <laughs> fine. <laughs> and I think that's kind of it. Yeah, that's all you need to know, really. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah. Um, I'm not even going to pronounce that one. Never mind. That's the big hit. <laughs> There was the, the other Cenobite that wasn't those other ones. Yeah, the man. was played by Vukasin Jovanovic. Yeah, Jovanovic. Why are we off names I can't pronounce? Okay. And then plot-wise for this movie, we have uh, Take on Clive Barker's 1987 horror classic where a young woman struggling with addiction comes into possession of an ancient puzzle box unaware that its purpose is to summon the Cenobites. There you go. So I think due to the time difference of when this was released worldwide, I think a non-spoiler section can go straight out the window. I think yeah. anybody that will have wanted to have seen this film will have found a way to have seen it or will have had it spoiled online by now already. With that said, as a courtesy to the people at home, if you don't want Hellraiser 2022 spoiled for you, this is your final warning that this is a from here on out, this is going to be a full spoiler review we are just getting straight into it and um yeah so my first question for you guys is um obviously we touched a little bit upon it in the previous episode that we did what were your initial thoughts and feelings when you heard firstly that hellraiser was being rebooted and and the creative team behind it and then secondly how did you feel about there being a female pinhead this time around um so I, I quite like uh, Hellraiser, particularly the first two. Uh, I wasn't overly fussed about it being, you know, rebooted. The franchise is, is known for being relatively, you know, subpar. So I didn't think there was room to be, to be brutally honest about it. Um, so I wasn't overly fussed about it. I mean, I, you know, as I mentioned, when we did the episode together on the first Hellraiser, I love the lore and there's so much I love about it. I love the gothicness about it. So I was, you know, I was really up for it as long as it was done well and they had a good team behind it. Um, you know, Jamie Clayton and having a female pinhead. Uh, I wasn't overly fussed because, you know, I, I haven't read The Hellbound Heart, but a lot of people say that in that the Cenobites are referred to as being more 
feminine and being genderless. So I wasn't overly fussed about that, to be honest. Uh, what about yourself, Ivo? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the because I I've only seen Hellraiser recently. I don't have the same kind of deep passion, I guess, of maybe some people out there do have for these characters. So it doesn't feel that horrible to me the idea of rebooting and replacing and recasting everyone was it like any actors and and I didn't feel I didn't feel strong enough connections for the people even though I, I do really like the original three films and they are the only three I've seen um, but I didn't feel that connection to any of them so it's also one of these things where it's a reboot and obviously I know that this is one where they're not following on from the previous timelines or any of those previous parts so I've got no problem with the idea that there's there's no because you always get with these reboots you go oh when are they going to bring back this character to have a cameo or there's always that no matter yeah. what what it is you know like the there's a bit of an uproar online because Hocus Pocus 2 doesn't barely features any of the you know originals and things like that you know those kind of things that happen um, but with these it just I've got no interest in any of the actors who would return it apart from maybe Doug Bradley would have been kind of cool as something, you know, to make him appear as something. Um, so therefore, I love Doug Bradley's iteration in the original film. But as Rob said, it's, uh, it is described as a genderless form. It, it doesn't need to be anyone. So I don't see why it matters who, because it's it doesn't seem to be with a lot of people. It doesn't seem to be the problem is that they've recast because they've done that before with Hellraiser because they've had to. And that, although people might not have liked the versions, they certainly didn't have an uproar like they have for this. So it feels more about the gender of the person who's replacing. And I don't get why that's a problem. I understand if, if you do Michelle Myers, then I understand, <laughs> you know what I mean? But not, you know, Hellraiser, this isn't that. These are Cenobites. These are, these are genderless, formless, maybe once we human of some kind. Yeah. I don't get why it matters. <laughs> yeah, they've been so mutilated. And the the from my understanding is they are effectively now, you know, interdimensional beings. So, you know, why why does the sex matter? If any <laughs> if I was, you know, uh if I was being attacked by Pinhead, I wouldn't go, well, you gotta have a cock, you know, I'm not fussed about <laughs> that. For me, I'm I'd be more terrified that I'm gonna be tortured for eternity than by the gender of what's what's about to torture me, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd be inclined to agree. I think much like yourselves, I was kind of the thing that intrigued me about the idea. And I think you said the same thing, didn't you? Was the actual the team behind the reinvention. Um, obviously, you've got David Bruckner and the two writers who worked on The Night House together, um, which we discussed a little bit last time. I think for me, the wild card was David S. Goyer. Because yeah, you hear the name yeah. David Goyer and you think, oh, yeah, fuck yeah, the dude who co-wrote The Dark Knight. But then you're like, oh, yeah, the guy who also wrote and directed Blade Trinity. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of a bit like, uh, and mm. I, I feel like of everything in this movie, his influence, especially in the story, is felt the most. Um, but I don't know how you felt about that because you don't really, you're a person who tends to not be as focused on writers and directors as the rest of us. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> honestly... You could have told me that this was written by a complete newbie who I'd never heard before. I'd have just gone, yeah, sure. Like, ah. <laughs> writers do have an effect because obviously they're the ones telling the story, but I don't like specifically go, oh, I'm going to watch that movie because so-and-so wrote it. Yeah. I normally go, oh, I'm going to watch that movie. It looks good. <laughs> or, oh, I'm going to watch that movie. So-and-so's in it. Yeah. 
<laughs> so and I think you're not a massive nerd <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> I think honestly, the story yeah. <laughs> is a good jumping off point for for starting this discussion. Um, obviously, we've ref- you've referenced Hellraiser two in the, in the discussion so far. I feel like this movie owes a lot to Hellraiser two, but I felt the story itself was really weak. I don't know how yeah. you guys felt. I, I thought mm. taking the Evil Dead 2013 kind of like addict, sibling, friendship group kind of story didn't work in this context. Yeah, no, I, I completely... Uh, the, when me and Rob had a talk about this following, the, the word that came up the most was that was safe. It was yeah. a safe way to play it. It was, you know, uh, there were certain elements that we, we definitely felt like were missing yeah. you know but it was that part that it was just the yeah that the story was so and I, I just think when Evil Dead did it which was almost 10 years ago now the Evil Dead you know reboot was almost 10 years ago and it still kind of felt fresh that then to maybe take that kind of route but nowadays taking the whole you know the, the whole social issues route with horror and turning it into social context not that that can't work really well when it does but I, I just felt like it didn't make anything about this film feel fresh. Although the addiction part of it, I, I felt the addiction part of it was an interesting way. And I could see how it kind of linked throughout the whole film and it linked within the film, the addiction part of it. But I definitely did not feel at all that the, you know, that that, that made anything about this film feel fresher or it didn't make the characters better just because we would really leaning into this is a social context within that we're adding to our film here yeah i think well i mean like you mentioned about it owing a fair bit to hellraiser 2 uh particularly in the in the the final act of the film it did almost feel as if it was kind of a a mixture of both of them and one of the things uh, one of the main problems i had with the film was compared to the original Hellraiser, where you don't really know much about the lament configuration, all you know is it's a mm. box. If you fuck around with it, you mm. disappear, and, you know, the Cenobites come and get you. Whereas with this one, they, you know, they did try to play around with why somebody might, you know, solve it or why somebody might engage with it. Um, and they tried to add some more lore to it, you know, introducing Leviathan and all of that. But for me, it just made the plot seem a lot more by the numbers. You know, you've got with the with the original Hellraiser, we had the really it, the the main story wasn't so much about the Cenobites. It was about Frank and Julia and you know Frank's resurrection. Whereas with this one, when it got to okay, you know, it after six, you get a wish or whatever you know yeah. kind of implied. It, once I saw that coming, I was like, yeah, this is basically, you might as well be at a summer camp with seven counsellors and yeah. one of them is a final girl. And we know every 15 minutes, one <laughs> of these guys is going to die. It kind of, it made it a bit more generic and a bit safe and a bit like... Yeah, it was certainly, we did say earlier, there was something about, there's something about the original film that when we first, original film, when we first saw it, that I thought that is not at all where I expected this film to be going. And it's unconventional. It was unconventional. This film was not unconventional in any way. It was a pretty straightforward kind of way to do a new horror film, basically, in the modern day. And what about you guys? 
Oh, you go first, because I feel like you have a bit more to say so than me. So to say. So, <laughs> so much to say. First, the addiction plotline, like it's cool you put it in there, but they didn't need it at all. It was completely unnecessary. It didn't actually add anything to the plotline except to give a reason for Riley to be arguing with her brother. Yeah. And for her to become in possession of the box. Well, not even that. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't need the addiction plotline for that. She could have just had a really dodgy boyfriend. Mm. Like that's well, all that, she needed. That's one of the points that I yeah. got to. Sorry to cut in, Lee. Um, but I, I literally said this to you. Like, we get it. We get an introduction where um, we, we see Riley and her boyfriend, and then Riley's brother is like, "Yeah, I don't like that guy." And it's kind of like, "Yeah, you know, he's a bit. He's too pretty, or whatever." And then the next scene, he's like, "Oh." Why don't we just go and steal some stuff? It yeah. kind of like, <laughs> yeah, no wonder you shouldn't like this guy. It, there yeah. was so many like inconsistencies in that, and it just felt out of place. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so that really, I didn't annoy me, but it just seemed like it was just extra fat the film didn't really need. Um, it was a bit paint by numbers. I think we'd figured out about twenty minutes in that. What Trevor. Trevor was involved with the old fucking bad guy himself. Like, that was so fucking obvious. Oh, yeah, there's this weird box. So, like, I know there's a thing somewhere we can go and take it. No shit, Sherlock. I think this is my problem with it. Is the first film, which I adore, it goes in places you don't expect it to go. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? I'm very confused. This I was like going, oh, well, that person's going to die. And then, oh, well, they're going to die soon. And then I think we got to the end and she was walking down into the basement. I was like, well, Trevor's dead. So yeah, that's mm. happening now. Like It was just very, if, if a rookie horror film fan can literally pick out the plot points to go, this is very paint by numbers. Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit too paint by numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me, the thing, and I said this to Lee while we were watching it, I think the thing that griped me the most was with the addiction storyline, um, In and I, I will keep referencing the Evil Dead in, in, in terms of how they both use it, like in terms of the Evil Dead, they use it so perfectly because they make it seem like she's having withdrawals and that's what, when she first gets possessed, you're not entirely sure whether she is or whether she isn't or whether it's just the drug withdrawals. In this one, she's hallucinating like the Cenobites days after she's taken drugs when they would have like come out of her system. But also they like in any of the Hellraiser movies, like these things, like these vices that people have are used as like a manipulation from Pinhead and the Cenobites. And at no fucking point is that ever brought up like by Pinhead when she's trying to bargain with Riley about what to do with the box or anything like that. She mentions about like, people that she's lost and stuff and pain and suffering but she never actually says like like even like a tiny line of dialogue like you've been weak and reliant on things that have had control over you your whole life and now you're the one who's in control even just something like that to kind of address this this power imbalance in her life but I said to Lee I said there were moments where she was hallucinating like her friend's deaths or whatever and like the whole thing with like the the being granted a gift, I was like, is this just a fucking low key Wishmaster film? <laughs> I was like, yeah, at some point, like it was a fucking Wishmaster movie. It was yeah. so strange. Like, <laughs> so many like, 
things that they try and put into the film. And I'm like, I don't know if they did it just to kind of make the film more visually interesting. Um, but in order for them to have done that, David Brockner would have had to have heard of two other colours than red and blue. Um, <laughs> you know, but they, they kind of introduce these little things and then they never pay them off. Like, as Lee said, like at no point in any of the other Hellraiser movies has it been like you get a wish or like a gift. Like, what the fuck was that all about? It was so weird. So also, I'm assuming in this film that the lament configuration they have is not the original lament configuration. Because there's more than one of them that get ref- gets referenced throughout the Hellraiser films. And the one that is in the Hellraiser movies is the Lachard configuration. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that this one is a different... Who knows? Yeah, you never know yeah. with when it's a reason, do you? It's his own time. It's a bit inconsistent I mean, as well, yeah. anyways. You've never seen the box open like that. It's moved to the shard before, like the Leviathan model. Yeah. Yeah. But we've never seen it twist out and alter in that big of a way. No, yeah. it was a lot more intricate and like pieces to it. Yeah, it was yeah. a box. Yeah. It was box. And, and it's a shame because when the, the film opened up, I thought it opened up really interestingly when we were in, I think we were in Russia or. Serbia. Serbia, yeah. And then we went over to Massachusetts and we were at that... Jordan you know, Voigt's we mansion. At, yeah, we were at the mansion and it was, you know, it was vices. There were people piping and there was, you know, <laughs> stuff going on. And then we had this guy who was who was almost a bit Frank Cottonish, who was searching for more, you know, and then he gets kind of linked into it. And then we were introduced to an addict. And like you said, for maybe up until the first instance where her brother goes, it's almost like the, that's a really heavy part of the story, but then they don't go into it. And it's not like they, what they could have done is, or what I feel like they could have potentially done is she should have been in a, in active addiction. You know, she shouldn't have been sobriety or there should have been a lot more about temptation, tempting her with, the pleasure of the lament oh, configuration yeah. and stuff like that, instead of just, oh, I'm just gonna turn it, you know, <laughs> and I, oh, I just want my brother back. Kind of, puzzle. Yeah, the, <laughs> the whole addiction story felt at odds with when we got to her brother's disappearance, and then that being the main point, it was like you could have had this being maybe focusing more on the family drama, and then her brother go, or, or even making her brother the addict, you know, and then also. Yeah. I- I did think with them playing off the addict, you know, if they'd have made it, because obviously we see her take pills at the beginning, if they'd have made it so, because like they kind of believe her that her brother's missing pretty much straight away. And they never really go into the whole, like, are you sure what we want? And instead of it just being like immediately, these people trust them and believe them, it would have been cool to see it play out as like, is it actually happening or is she having, yeah, like a really, really, really bad fucking trip? Yeah, there was. There's a point um, that in the, the hospital scene with is it Serena? I think her yeah, name was. Um, where that was, I thought one of the more effective kind of scenes, like scarier scenes in the yeah. film, and that was building up to it. Um, but yeah, there, there were there was a point with uh, you know the whole Serena scene with with them building towards it. Um, I've just completely lost track of my thought. <laughs> I literally just like, yeah, like I had a point and I was just like, where's gone. it gone? I'm yeah. trying to remember what Leah said and my brain's just gone. Blop. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bad trip. 
was where, where I'd said, like, yeah. if, if she was having a bad trip, we didn't know if it was all real or not. I think you meant when, as you, as you said, in our kind of spoiler-free one, when the people got cut by the Lament Confederation, they went into this kind of haze and it, it started to feel a bit Efron. And that was my, I enjoyed when the Cenobites were first introduced and we got little snippets of them here and there. And I mean, the high, my highlight scene was that hospital scene, you know, um, where we start to see like things drift away and she starts to go into the kind of hell world. And then I kind of felt, thought that once it got past a certain scene, it, that's when it kind of fell off for me. Yeah, it, um, it is that part. I was the the whole when it is that kind of scene of the hallucinations early on. It's effective and it's interesting when we're seeing the walls moving in the hospital. When we're seeing those parts of it early on, from her hallucination in the park onwards, there's still that kind of area where you're like, okay, so what is happening here? But following that hospital scene, it just starts to push to the point where it's just like, right, now you're just seeing them all the time. Now you're just constantly. So that kind of whole, they could have really, I would have been happy if they kept going with the whole random events keep happening around them. But the second it all pushes towards the mansion and becomes about almost the creatures and actually starts to become a little bit more like a creature kind of chase film than it does a Hellraiser film. Yeah, yeah. It, that's the part. I think the whole mansion part of it is actually the part that is when, for me, it really started to dip because I was like, it's much more interesting that we've already set up this idea, like you said, Leah, that other people could mistrust her. They could. Yeah. And if they had dug into that a little bit deeper and it, it felt like they could have done that. It felt like, was it Colin? Yeah. It, Colin was like, it felt like he would start kind of might turn a little bit more towards and not question it, but they just never pushed it. And then even later on when Colin gets involved, yes, he gets a bit more hard evidence by seeing everything that's going on, but he still very easily seems to just be like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is all happening kind of thing. Instead of being like, come on, like push against it. Do you really believe that straight away? We know why Trevor believed her and pushed and wasn't that, you know, he did try to warn her, but still we know why he's doing it, but you should be a little bit more apprehensive. You're not just going to believe the, you know, these creatures from another world straight away. It seemed too easy, just too easy. I think also a large part of the story problems is the characters. I don't think there's a single Amongst the five or six friends, I don't think there's a single likable character in this film. Yeah. Than Colin. Colin is my boy. I, I love Colin. Colin was all right. Uh, yeah. I like Trevor. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked Colin. I, I really didn't want Colin to die. So I guess that's the only thing I can say is I, or I just felt sorry. I was like, if when I thought he was going to actually die and I kept thinking he was going to, but I was like, I just feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for her brother. Because it just feels completely, that was the only thing. Like most of the characters that do die are the ones that like were innocent in the, you know, it was yeah. mainly the innocent characters that did die, except well, for Trevor yeah. and for... <laughs> yeah. And this going to the characters, they were, they were almost, when they introduced themselves, you know, in the first scene where she's like, ah, oh, I'm her brother. And then I'm the roommate. I'm her brother's boyfriend. It's literally like, that's all the character development that we got. You know, we didn't really get to know these people anymore. And there was yeah. and it, there was a thing that I had with it where I because I, I you know, I love the 
I, I love the, the Hellraisers that I've seen. And this, it seems to be that those who die, those who seek out the box, are punished for something, you know? Like Frank Kahn, absolute asshole, you know? <laughs> and he seeks out the pleasure and he's punished. And then he escapes and they're seeking him and punishing him. Same with Julio in the second, JP in the third, you know, he makes this deal about power, but you should never make a deal with a devil. And that's kind of, the, you know, that's the story there. And he dies and he's a horrid person. But these, you know, particularly like the roommate and um, the lawyer, Serena, and her brother, you know, they were, they weren't, you know, evil people. They weren't, you know, more, you know, morally dubious or anything they just happened to pick up a, a box and be cut by it which made it feel more slashy. a bit, a bit. <laughs> yeah serena's a bit dubious serena's a little bit i mean <laughs> you definitely sent people to their deaths yeah, yeah she's a bit dubious but but this is the thing because what i said as we're watching is like the whole point with the lament configuration is that you open it they come for you and that gets removed in this movie because you can use the lament configuration to pass that over to somebody else. Yeah. But also, then at one point, the priest basically convinces Serena. Serena? No, Riley. Riley. Thank you. <laughs> convinces Riley to keep using the box. Like the original pinhead would never have inserted himself like that because they're kind of completely non-involved until you open that box they don't really care what you're doing yeah. yeah they're only interested in coming after people who open the box whereas like with this the priest is actively egging riley on to use the box to attack other people yeah yeah which seems very out of character not just for pinhead but for um clive barker's monsters altogether. yeah de- yeah definitely yeah, there's a there's something about the the mythology, the law in this film that just feels like they're trying to extend it by adding these different all oh, different puzzle contraptions and these are the different stages that it will go through and this is what each one means and the more and more they they dig into it, the more I start to be like it it feels like you're just there's that one scene with um, Voigt and Pinhead when they're in the room and, you know, he's got that contraption inside of him. And that scene went on. They kept jumping back to it and it went on and on with Pinhead saying stuff. And at a certain point, I think my brain just went numb to whatever they were saying because I was like, what does this all mean? Like, why why are we talking about, like, why was this a major part of your idea here? Because it feels like you're just trying to extend the mythology. But there's ne- there's nothing worse. I like lore and mythology in film, but yeah. there's nothing worse to me than someone spending a good like five minute dialogue explaining or over egging mythology. There's nothing worse than that in a film where you have the character who's just there to explain it. At one point, Pinhead is that character. I'm like, Pinhead should not be that character. Pinhead is meant to have a distance. Pinhead is meant to be an observer, almost like from what I've like the way yeah. I see it. And that is not here at all. Pin, no. Pinhead, like, uh, not that's not true. Pinhead is an observer at many points in this film, but it, there are a lot of points. And the Cinnabite, Cinnabites, I said the, the Cinnabites, Cinnabon, you know, nice Cinnabon, I like that. Cinnabon, 
I'm still going to get it wrong. Cenobites. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Cenobites in the felt, I just, I think there's not only too many of them, but I also think that they've been overused and they're they're there too much. Well, I just yeah. want to, before we go to it, I want to carry don't. on what Liam was saying about, about making that deal. In the original, Kirsty opens the box, they come for her. And then, you know, we, like we said in our episode, she says that Frank's escaped and she'll lead them to the you know she'll lead uh, Frank to the Cenobites, and then once he does, Pinhead is like, well, we didn't we didn't really make a deal, did we, pal? And goes after them. Whereas imagine if you did Candyman, you know, you said Candyman's name five times in the mirror, and Candyman said, well, came and said, well, I can kill you, or I can kill somebody else. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Like your the the idea is that you're searching for this pleasure, and you're you're pushing the limits. And you get your just desserts, you know. But yeah. if if you could say, actually, and I think she says it twice in the film, like, we, you know, unless there's somebody else, we're going to take you. It's kind of, it gets rid of any tension or any high stakes thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So my whole thing with Pinhead is I couldn't decide whether they tried to write Pinhead as a more younger inexperienced version of the character who's not long become the priest or if it was just shite right in yeah. because there are there are points in this film where as we've discussed where she is observing but she is also actively participating the one scene in particular that i reference when i say that she's an observer is the scene where oh my god by the way how great was the scene when fucking chatterer got fucked the fuck up and she's just like sitting in the shadows, like yeah. smiling. Yeah. There's almost like a curiosity on her face of like, where, what, what is this person made of? Like, have we encountered someone that's like maybe got the drop on us? And I couldn't understand, I couldn't figure out whether they were trying to write this iteration of Pinhead as being a bit more like childlike and a bit more curious mm. in terms of like, we don't know anything about her backstory. We don't know when she got turned into the priest or, or what she was before she became a Cenobite. So I'm kind of wondering if she, I don't want to say a career perhaps, but she's maybe not as far into being the priest as what the original Pinhead was when we met him in the original film. And there's still that kind of like naivety where she's not lost all of her humanity yet. And she's kind of still trying to figure out I don't think that's the case with Chara at all. I'm not talking about Chara, I'm talking about Pinhead. No, I know, but you said, like, you see the smile when she sees Chara die. Yeah. So they have gone to the extreme mm-hmm. of everything. And they haven't died yet. Yeah. So they can do these horrible things, have their flesh torn off and turned into outfits. They've become basically the peak of pleasure and pain and they're unable to die. And I think it's more of a just a, oh, well, that's new. Yeah. We haven't done that yet when she sees Chatterer die. I think it's less of a childlike glee. It's more of a like, we can cause the pain that we cause humans on each other mm. and just probably never thought about it before. Well, that's going to stir up a, a conversation at the Cenobite Christmas party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see what happened to Chatterer last week? Oh, shit. Man, yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that that scene in particular because it's kind of like we see the Cenobites die in the second one, but they're killed by 
a Cenobite. And I don't know how I feel about being able to kill a Cenobite. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it played, in one way, I was like, okay, that's it. Because obviously you've got the idea, is, it, is she suddenly going to stab Trevor to get out of it? And then suddenly yeah. she's stabbed. So as the one-off scene, it works. And, and Pinhead's reaction does really help that. I do think that fact that she just stands there almost for a moment and then lifts her fingers and it's just kind of like, yeah, okay, cool. Like it, I, I, I did like it for that one scene, but then as I said to you, like moments later, I was like, as they were like starting to run away from the next one, I was like, what is stopping them from just turning around, grabbing that box and just literally legging it <laughs> after the, yeah. after the rest of them? Like I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get one of you. I'm gonna get you. Like just yeah. running. I literally all I could think was one of. I feel like at that point I'd be like. Oh, as long as I can get one, then surely like this is all over. So yeah. let's just go and get one. <laughs> like instead of legging it up the path and things like that, I just that's all I could think in my head yeah. was that. But linking to what you said about about Pinhead, I, I don't know. I, I know that that journey is kind of I guess shown a bit in the original Hellraiser. Whereas I guess for me with Pinhead, I always thought once they were taken to that form, I didn't really think of there being a progression because I always just thought that they were basically stripped of all of that emotion. So I didn't really think of a a progression that could happen so it could be so with the the new version that they are thinking that it is a progression of how you change maybe and grow. Yeah. i guess it is kind of in the original there is in this in the is it second or third that they do talk that he you do kind of see a little bit of that journey i guess with with the original doug bradley's yeah but i don't know i always just thought of it as just a strip bear once he is pinhead he was just strip bear so he was always this kind of concise kind of deciding presence yeah so i never thought of it the journey that there could be a younger like a younger like earlier version you know what i mean 1.0 yeah, yeah that's 1. what i mean 0. you know young young man <laughs> young that's, indiana yeah. jones kind of <laughs> that kind of back to them but then if we could do that can't but, we get an old can't we get doug bradley back as an older pinhead <laughs> absolutely yeah that, that's I mean, uh, there's that point at the end where you, like you said, I, I wasn't sure if you figured that, but even I was thinking that um, Goran Viznik actually looked when he was like, at the very end, when he yes. was turned into that, I was almost actually thought they've done all of this about a female pinhead and they're about to do like a double pinhead or so, because I don't know why, but he looked, he, he looked so much like Doug, yeah. actually like Doug Bradley, like with that thing. I actually thought he was about to turn as if they were about to imply that, she is actually the priest and she's not. And there's actually an, a, there is actually a male and a, like almost iteration of both that they're about to introduce. Yeah. But then it just turned out he's chatterer. Yeah. <laughs> Another chatterer. I think that's yeah. what, I think that's why he was meant to be. Good point, because he basically takes chatterer's place. They give him the power. Yeah. I can't remember which, which of the configuration names is the actual one for power. Mm. But he chooses power in the end. And he replaces the Cenobite that's already gone because he does have kind of similar yeah. to the chatter amount. Yeah, that's what I do. It does pose the question then of when one dies, do they have to then replace them with whoever currently has the box? Yeah. yeah it's Maybe. like Power Rangers. Like when the red one gets too old, they <laughs> age him out like Red Ranger. Yeah. Hell, the reason Doug Bradley's Hellraiser is not in this film is because he's back in hell just looking after all the baby Cenobites. Yeah. Like him sat on a throne just surrounded by little, little tiny Cenobites. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you can't be in that corner. Fuck. Well, they, they do... <laughs> They do reference, I know you guys haven't seen this one. I recently watched Bloodline again because I like to torture myself. <laughs> I wanted to watch that. <laughs> the hierarchy yeah. in hell in Bloodline 
because the character of Angelique is like a hell priestess and she was running hell years before um, Pinhead took over. And he kind of says to her, he's like, well, in your absence, hell's a little more ordered now. So there is this kind of idea of like, kind of like the queen, I guess, when one of them <laughs> kicks the bucket, like another one sort of takes over. So that is kind of an interesting thing. If at any point they did want to merge the two franchises together yeah, and have a connecting sort of thing, they could have a reigning king and queen of hell. Yeah. And they yeah. both they both have that pinhead mantle. Well, I was um, just thinking um, that actually, if they do want to like merge the timeline in some way, they've already actually come up with the reason to at least have a Doug Bradley cameo because they could literally have Doug Bradley be the one, the, the pinhead that was killed in order for Jamie Clayton's pinhead to then transform yeah. into the replacing priest or pinhead. So you could actually have that scene as a little bit of a wink to the, origi of the original, because all it has to be is Doug Bradley is just playing an iteration of, it doesn't, they don't have to say this is the same timeline, but they could have him. They could have had him in the you know the costume to yeah. have that kind of which would have been a cool kind of way in a sequel maybe when yeah, yeah to have, kind of have that little link between them yeah I mean there was some there were some things that I did like about the film um, I don't think it was all completely bad like a lot of the early scenes where the Cenobites were being introduced I was quite a fan of where we were getting short snippets of them so there was a scene where uh, Riley's on a merry-go-round, you know, and she went and she, we, we saw a shot of, I, I think it was Pinhead um, or maybe it was one of the newer ones. And when uh, she was piping Trevor and then Chatterer was watching, you know, <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. Chatterer but... or bootleg liquor from Resident Evil. Yeah, bootleg, yeah, bootleg liquor. <laughs> um, and there were scenes like that and, I think, like I've said earlier, the highlight for me was when uh, Serena, you know, got cut with the box and we, and we were like, oh, well, she's fucked. And then, you know, the room that she was in slowly started to kind of morph into this hellscape and the, you know, the door, the wall behind her kind of shifted and kind of went into into like the hellscapes that we get. And then yeah. we saw one of the new Cenobites kind of walking behind her in the distance. But also going towards a guy who appeared to be dying. Yeah. And going over to it, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. Th those scenes, I, I do think that, that visually, that David Bruckner, the visually, uh, yes, there is a quite consistent colour. Yeah. <laughs> that constantly appears <laughs> and between his previous films. But um, I do think visually, the, the, the visuals of the walls changing and the ground breaking beneath and the, the sky at night, and like it, I, I, did, I was impressed by those parts of it. I did think that the, those visuals really did add something to the yeah. effect of the film and that concept, like the van scene when it's extending away. That was awesome. I thought was re really quite, quite a cool scene. Um, uh, yeah, I did love a lot of those parts for it. Uh, but I guess there is one part, like to mention the the kind of the gore of the film. Uh, well, I, I don't know what 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 did you guys think of that like part? Because that yeah, was in my head. Think. The gore. Um, there's one bit where I looked away. Okay. Um, the throat bit where the fucking acupuncture needle oh, went. Oh yeah, that was gross. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm out. I don't want to see this. That was a good. Um, but, but I thought that whole sequence where she had Nora up in chains. And like yeah. they 
her back off was fucking awesome. I loved that sequence. But that was a badass. Yeah. To kind of go back to what you guys before we me, me move on to the gore before you, yeah, yeah. Um, the Cenobites themselves, I thought were fucking awesome. There was one thing I noticed, and I said this to Lee, and I don't know if it was again a purposeful thing of like a growth of a Cenobite. If you notice all of the Cenobites in this movie, they're like bits of skin are held together by the pins that are like in pins. Yeah. And I said, I kind of was saying, like, you know, when you like, if you're a clothes maker, you kind of put clothes together and you put a pin through it to kind of hold the clothes together. I kind of was wondering if that was kind of where they've gone with this extreme modification. The reason they had all the pins in was to kind of like, because they keep changing everything and holding it in place, like yeah. makeshift clothes. Um, they did my boy the mask dirty. He's in two scenes. He looks cool as fuck. He's got that like head with the bits in it. He's in like two scenes. Oh, really. Yeah. The rest of the movie. Um, I liked, I can't remember what she's called, the Asian woman. Yes. The the ripped apart throat and all that. The vagina back. Yeah, she yeah, was for... really, really fucking cool. Um, I liked the one who looked like the Silent Hill nurse. I yeah. liked that was my favorite one. One. Yeah. That was um that was really cool. So the, the Cenobite design was amazing. I just think the choice of shots, like you say, in the beginning of the movie, it's all shadows. And then halfway through the movie, they just go, nah, wide shots, long yeah. shots, fucking yeah. spotlight, red and blue, red and blue. <laughs> spotlights yeah. on them. Like, and it's See, like, yeah. See, so uh, Cenobite, so, uh, so I know, what well, I know, Rob, uh, well, I'm more decidedly mixed on the Cenobites. I, I know that this are meant to be closer than the, to the Clive Barker uh, descriptions, I believe, is what I've heard, that they're much closer to that. Um, but I know you described, Rob, you said, too clean yeah they look far too clean they look like they just got out of the bath you know they yeah. were they were clean i said action figures. They, they, look to me, like they look action like figures. wax works or action yeah. fit like i wanted flesh that looked like flesh and to me it looked like it was a preserved kind of thing which i understand for the look and the design but there was just something so like white and plasticky about yeah. it that made me think like an action figure and there was weird. I know that in the like in the original films, obviously they couldn't do those details. They didn't have the effect, the ability to do those kind of details. So I completely understand that. But there was a part of me that was kind of actually, I kind of was like, I kind of missed the minimalist look. Yeah, the minimalist design. The the fact that one feature was the main feature, and therefore I could notice each one. But because there were so many different things about them, I mean, I'm not. They looked. They did look amazing. They yeah. did look great. They they look. I I can't. I just. I don't know. There was just so bad it where I just started to actually think. I actually think I preferred it when less was more. Yeah. yeah. I. I, I you definitely you first. They they do look far too clean to say that it's a lot of explode exposed like muscle. They look way too clean. And also, I agree with you as well, because there's so much going on, they all kind of lose their individuality unless you have close-up shots of the character. Yeah. Whereas with the first film, like because it's all black and then it's like the big wide open neck and it's very clear in every scene. Like she's got her neck torn open or Chatterer's teeth are out. Yeah. Like... It, they'd lost something. I think they look really cool, but they don't look as like definitive as they do in the first, the original Hellraiser movies. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say for Lee, Lee, in your in our episode, you mentioned about being really excited about Leather Mummy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm wondering how how do you feel, guys feel about the fact that there's basically almost no 
BDSM or like almost none in this this one dungeon. I believe. Yeah, I wanted I wanted eroticism, <laughs> and I was disappointed to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> thoroughly disappointed about the lack of le- actual leather mummying. I think it would be a difficult wank, but I could still crack one up the pinhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm not saying pinhead is not still sexy, but I just don't think there was enough. Like the first movie has really, really strong BDSM overtones. Yeah. yeah, like you're watching it and you're like, "This is two scenes away from being like a hardcore BDF- BDSM yeah. porn." This movie is lacking that energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the horny. It, it's yeah. not yeah. You know, no, the eroticism. It just yeah. I didn't I didn't feel it. And we I got... didn't like that. We did get aspects though, because that did it felt like a nod to like oil oh, right, asphyxiation, but. <laughs> That was kind of it. They I, lost a lot of the sexiness in this movie. I think also yeah. talking about the Cenobite design, there's that scene at the end, the one that you referenced, the never-ending monologue like she's some fucking scream villain. Yeah. Where it's all in bright light. And when yes. Pinhead is stood there and you can see everything clear as day in bright light, that was where it lost me. Because I was like, she looks like a piece of Wagyu with a head on. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really understand, like, like in because I think they were really clever when they marketed the film because they they showed Pinhead from like a certain certain height up, yeah, and yeah. thing was dark and bathed in that Bruckner blue. Um, to then when you see it in action, I don't think it works as well no. because of the reasons that you guys mentioned. There's no individuality. There's no. Um, like I get that it helps to create them to look more genderless because you are basically seeing everything, so you can see that they kind of do all look like the angels in Dogma. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's no there's no sense of like, well, why why have you got these markings? Why have you got these scars? What do what do your individual modifications represent to you? Like, Pinhead's got the two. Uh, circles in her throat that look kind of like the middle pieces of the the main configuration mm. like where do they come from what is that purpose like there's one one of them's got the two it looks like she's got sails coming out of her yeah arm. and then obviously she turns into goro towards the end of her arm <laughs> yeah it's like what 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 is that in aid of you know if it's if it's to kind of take it back to like a body modification sense and even if you look at it from like a tribal sense if you look at it from the way it would be implicated in real world you look at sort of certain african tribes and things like that the way that they use scarification and body modification to to symbolize like religious beliefs or like personal beliefs in their own tribes and things like that it all relates to something whereas in this it just felt like they wanted to go against the grain and because the movie wasn't so much about sex and bdsm and everybody sitting in a crypt smoking crack listening to nine inch nails it's more about like the harm that we do to ourselves in search of a greater high that they wanted to do something completely different and i think practically it looks great there are certain scenes where it looks rubbery as fuck the scene where she says what is it you pray for as the chains go past her it literally looks like she's got fucking egg cartons on her arm. Like, it, it, that <laughs> whole musculature looked really fake. Um, See, I like, I like, because you're, like, you're right, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason yeah. to the design. My only thought hmm. was, like, maybe they're kink-shaming each of them. <laughs> <laughs> Get rid of it, yeah. Just, yeah. 
Eliza likes having a collar or being choked, so she's got the things in her throat. <laughs> the one with the little barry things on her shoulders. <laughs> she likes suspension play. I mean, there's no maybe, yeah. What <laughs> <laughs> the other ones? It was well, um, got the throat ripped open and yeah. the back ripped open. She's obviously in any hole as a goal girl. Yeah, there was. A... Yeah, she uh, she still got the the the, the, the yeah. front is still there. You know, what I yeah, mean, you can still go. Still, I swear, there's still like a little hairy. You know, there's, there's like a little, little hairy yeah. patch. There's on a landing the, strip. You know, on the, there's a landing strip. Yeah, I'm sure. So she still seems <laughs> like sorry to go. <laughs> yeah, it's true, but but. Like, like we did mention, like we mentioned in our in, in our episode about the original. One thing that, like, I think we all agreed that we thought was scary about the original ones is the fact that you could see yourself in one of them. You could pick it out, and I didn't find myself in any of the. Like, I didn't find the original. The original designs made you think of something that kind of linked to either you found it grotesque or maybe you found it weirdly sexual in some odd way. Or- yeah. I didn't really see it so much in each of them. I couldn't find I couldn't find the individual in that way, and I couldn't find what is it specifically that's meant to be the <coughs> scary thing about this kind of creature. I guess there's one that's blinded by them, you know, their own skin, and there's one that uh, has a throat ripped open. Yeah. It. So there is things to find scary about them, not to completely minimize it. They, as I said, they are still good, but. Yeah, I I couldn't quite get that same as like we said like about like butterball or yeah. you know those kind of or the something about the chatterer kind of thing that yeah. made it extra. Like even this chatterer didn't quite work as well for me as no. the original chatterer. And the scary up until you realise that a, a gate can stop them. You know. Yeah. Once we got to the point where they were like they're outside. We'll just close the gate and they can't yeah. get in. It's like <laughs> that was what? the point where I was looking at them I, going, Why are there so many of you? Like, well, I, I was just thinking like, in the in the original Hellraisers and all the other ones that I've seen, like if you close if it, ha- it happens, you know, if you close a door, then turn they around and they, they appear, they're in there. But in yeah. this one, it's just, they just close the gates and they're like, Well, I'm pretty sure. In the yeah. first one, Kirsty does it. She closes the door, yeah. and then um, I think it's Chatterer and um, Throat Girl appear. Yeah, like they're in the room. She slammed the door closed, and they're stood in the doorways of the yeah. two other rooms. There's yeah. none of that. You know, there's none just... of that jump around. No, I like, close. There is, well, there is before they again before they get back to the mansion. I swear there is scenes like that where they just pop. They just kind of appear within like certain parts. They like in the hospital. They do seem yeah. to just arrive, but yeah. then it just seems to go when they're in the mansion, which they also, give a reason for. But still, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are shown that Pinhead can teleport yeah. as well because. Uh, Riley's talking to her on the bridge and she's on the other side of the water and then all of a sudden Riley turns around and she's fucking behind her. I don't know if maybe because it's kind of implied that he'd built the house as a cage. Yeah, Yeah. to trap them once he'd summoned them. Yeah, I don't know if it's just that they kind of forgot to add in like they've got a weakness to Krypton. He's put Krypton in the walls. Yeah, you know what I mean? The gates (laughs) are made of Krypton. That's why. They're actually all fucking... Yeah, I, Kryptonian. I didn't mind the uh, get the the whole. I didn't actually mind the the idea of the gate thing. I just then thought I was just really pissed off when it didn't actually do anything with it. They yeah, were locked yeah. in gates. I thought of a kind of thirteen ghosts like trap yeah. them inside. Here we are. I was like, I can get with this. 
And, it, you know, um, Riley, like I was thinking Riley might use this to her advantage to try to try and bargain in some way with them. But instead she goes straight to, I'm going to release them all again to let them out, which is yeah. just like, why the fuck would you do that? One, I know you don't realise you're killing Colin, but this is going to kill Colin because yeah. you're going to release them again. She, knows, she must know that the other Cenobites are hunting down Colin. Yeah, yeah. she knows they're being chased. Like, so. I don't know why her brain didn't go, oh, if I do this, I could potentially be putting Colin at risk because he might be safe right now. It's yeah. even a... If I do, if I keep them locked in, then maybe they stay locked in. I could end this evil here, but no, it's just like ah, uh, ah. Uh, but this this Voigt guy is being a real dick. So okay, let's let's release them back on yeah. him. Therefore, releasing all of them again that we've just spent ages setting up the idea that oh, we can trap them, and now it's like no, we're just getting rid of that idea really quickly yeah. and moving on. In the, in the portion of the movie that becomes Body Works does Home Alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I like so I'm gonna praise the film for this because. I haven't really said much, many nice things about it so far. The film is fucking beautiful. The set design, like the oh, house yeah. is fucking useless, but the house is gorgeous. And that was Sky Window. Yeah. Like the all of the lament design inside it is stunning. Yeah. Oh, and I yeah. like the way, I know the red and blue pisses you off. I like the use of red and blue in Bruckner's films. <laughs> um, oh, and he's, yeah. he's a stunning yeah. film. And the, the new design for the lament configuration it irritates me to a degree, but it looks cool as fuck, and the way it moves as it unlocks yeah. the next layer. Oh, yeah. So fucking cool. But I don't know why you needed to sacrifice someone for each layer instead of just being like, it's just like a fucking awesome, cool Rubik's Cube, guys. Yeah. <laughs> playing until you open it. Yeah. yeah. And if you fuck up, it opens. Because, like, that could have been, like, there is, a, there is a prize at the end, but if you mess up the pattern... It opens and releases the Cenobites. Yeah, that would have worked just as well as they have. You have to sacrifice someone every time you clear a level. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically what it was. Yeah, I, I was watching it going. I was literally. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry no, I was just He's just at me as far. <laughs> I, I was just looking at the box when she was using it, and I was hearing the click, 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 click. I was sitting there going. I wonder if anyone's made anything like this because that really sounds really nicely distressing. Yeah, I was like, I could sit there playing with that box like that all day. I mean, <laughs> if uh, not so much if it's going to stab me every yeah. time I do it, but I could sit there playing with that box all day long. I feel like that what I just said could be really taken out of context. Yeah, you could just play with yourself all just day. Play long. with that box all day. Long. <laughs> yeah. What did um, was, uh, Seb brought it up and then I think we went off a bit. Sure. What did you think of the gore in the movie? What did you think? What did you think of the kills? I I I think the kills was something that I actually liked in it. Um, I liked that the first two were off screen, and each one kind of built a bit more. I liked uh, Nora's death. I thought that was great, um, especially you know when it kind of when she was in the back of the van, and then it stretched out, and then it went into this kind of hallway um and you can see david bruckner and the experience from the nighthouse kind of went over into that i thought her death was great and especially when um riley looked into the into the screen and into the wind you know the uh, rear mirror i could see her being kind of tortured that was great um and then the kind of the other one that we mainly get being uh trevor's i kind of liked the the whole he gets uh you know, kind of grabbed by and restrained by almost like cheese wire, and then he yeah. gets pulled down to to hell to kind of receive further punishment. I liked all of it. You know, 
I liked all of the gore. Um, it was just like the surrounding parts, you know. I think for me, it's once the once they got to the mansion, and then once the van crashed, that's where the film ran out, kind of stopped being enjoyable for me. Up until that point, we'd had teasers of what the Cenobites look like and then some cool graphic deaths and then it was basically just the Cenobites just being around for the next 30 minutes and being visible you know what yeah. about you? The, um, the gore for me um, although I do think that so Nora's death was really brutal you know the, the neck uh, the throat the yeah. part of the throat and the you know all, you know all of that scene was especially as she felt completely innocent you felt truly sorry for her that yeah. this is what she's getting <laughs> even the point where like the the i did actually like that part of dialogue about the the what the threshold of pain but what your body can do and the when her voice starts changing as the pin goes more and more through her throat you start to hear her voice actually changing its pitch which i thought was a really cool little detail uh, but for me there was i don't know that there was so for me you said earlier about like the teasing but I don't know. I always felt I felt like almost like it. Sometimes it, it felt like it was building so really good, and then it just cut off. And I kept feeling like it did that. Yeah, we had nothing. I kind of hate more in a horror film than when it feels like, come on, let's just take it that little extra step, and then instead it just cuts. Like Trevor's, like I felt like Trevor with the cheese, where his skin starts to slice off a little bit, and I was like. I want to see like a Frank level of let's tear that skin right off. Yeah. But instead he drops down that hole and it's like, Oh, was, you know, it was cool, <laughs> but is that it? And I, I even, like, I would have felt like it, w- it would have it almost, I think her brother's death at the start, it almost would have been quite scarring if we'd got to see it actually more. I feel yeah. like it would have been one of those scenes because he was so completely innocent and he was actually the good guy completely at that point you know, and he remained that way. I actually think if we'd seen like a proper kind of almost Candyman kind of bathroom scene, I think that would have been brutal. And I kind of was waiting when it was just a scream and there was nothing else to it. I was a bit, I was a bit underwhelmed at times by some of them. I Like I, I get there was good gore. So I'm not taking that down. Yeah. There were definitely was good gore. There was good violent deaths. I just, I don't know. Again, it was just another thing for me that it felt like it got on that boundary of like, are you going to push it a little bit more? And for me with Hellraiser, especially thinking back to like Frank's in the original, I kind of just wanted him to push it just a little extra. That might have made the difference between it feeling. But for me, again, it was another thing that just felt like a safe move. Like, let's not push it over the top. And I kind of wanted to, because none of the characters were that (laughs) likable. I think also, like, to make the final comparison, when you look at what they did in the reboot of The Evil Dead, you've got the woman cutting her face up, you've yeah. got the arm being cut off, the nails going through the body. Like, there is some hardcore shit in that movie. For a franchise that isn't necessarily not... Like, The Evil Dead first one is, is quite a gory film, yeah. but it's not extreme. It's just kind of like uncomfortable so for for them to go the extreme route in the reboot whereas this one kind of it felt like it was more they toned it down david bruckner strikes me as being kind of like a less is more direct i i don't want to insult him because i think he is a very intelligent person but i do sometimes (laughs) think that he kind of like ariaster thinks that his work is more self-important than it actually is and he's more in, interested in the kind of mythology and the law and the like 
self-aggrandizing elements of the franchise rather than the splatter elements. And I think you need to have a director that's in tune with both parts for a, fran- mm. uh, for a Hellraiser film to really work. You have to understand the motivations, the cause and effect, but then you also have to pay it off with the violence as well. There is one, there is one bit other than the throat bit that made me feel a little bit queasy. And it was when Voight started throwing up all the, or like all the bits started falling out of him. And I was like, oh, come on, man. Yeah, he's up the truck, <laughs> yeah like this is a, that was a bit gross. Oh, so, actually, actually, the bit when his body goes back together, I was actually generally impressed by that. Yeah, scene. I thought that, yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> so you kept looking at me during the gory bits. <laughs> so like Simon's there like cringing as like they're putting the, da- the thing through her neck. And I'm just sat there, like, quite happily. I was eating at the time as well. I was, like, eating <laughs> on food. So I said, it's fine. I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, this is not a problem. Him throwing up metal pieces, absolutely. Like, I'm not a gore person as a general rule. But I think I learned today I don't, I don't watch it because apparently I'm a sociopath when it comes to gore and it just doesn't bother me. I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. What's wrong with this? Plus, the throat looked fake as fuck. Like, when they do the internal bit, as you see it going through, like, it looks so fake. I've watched enough Grey's Anatomy to know what a real throat looks like at this point. <laughs> I <laughs> thought it kind of looked all right. Medical <laughs> it reminded me a bit of when um, John Voight is getting eaten in Anaconda, you know? It reminded me a little bit of that, but I did think it was kind of a bit grosser. What a quality <laughs> reference. I know. <laughs> That's just what went through my head when I saw that scene. I was like... Going <laughs> um, as far as human villains go what did you think of Voight as the, the main human big bad in this um, I like I, I mean it, it might be because I quite like the actor because I, I watched all of the seasons of ER and he's a big part of that so I quite like the actor uh, and I think he plays Sinister quite well I liked him in that opening scene I found him to be quite interesting Um but again, then it's sad that then after that, he was so linked with all of the, some of the worst scenes later on in the film. Yeah. He was linked with all those exposition. And I, I didn't quite get the, I got the whole, we'll give you pleasure, but this is actually what you're going to get. This is our idea of pleasure. I got <laughs> the point, but one, I don't think that contraption looked actually that good or no. that like I, if they were going to go for that, I would have gone for certain that kind of shows a bit more of a violence to it because it was just basically like the strings going through. And in my head, all I could think, all I kept thinking to myself is, what is that actually going through? It is it parts? Is it your muscles that are being driven through? And I, I, all I could think in my head was like, I don't see how that's working. <laughs> like, what part of your <laughs> yeah. body is that actually taking? It's wearing round, but what part is it doing? Like, I feel like there could have been a better contraption than that kind of thing. Yeah. So he just then became this background, like, in the side, he just became the shadowy side villain. <laughs> like, he kind of this shadowy, like, character who's there, doesn't really add much to the film. Like, and I feel like, I feel like he was, in some of the scenes, I found him good enough to be, you could have been a much more better kind of, you could have been more of a sinister. A, it's like Frank, if he had a lot of money, basically. Yeah. If Frank had the money, you could have used him yeah. to be a much, actually more of the actual villain. Because again, the Cenobites shouldn't be the villain. I no, don't no. think. They're the dealers. Of- they, and yeah. they make them the villain of the piece. And it's like, they shouldn't be the villain. He should no. be the villain, but he didn't feel like a villain. He just felt like someone who'd been wronged and just 
it all just felt odd. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like he was a full villain. I kind of wish they'd like looked at the original and gone, right, what if we gave Frank like a shit ton of money and yeah. he got obsessed with the Cenobites, but he's still got this weird, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think he needed some scenes to flesh him out, definitely. Oh, yeah. He needed a, he, he needed a scene of him just banging everyone at that orgy. <laughs> well, that's it. I kind of, when he first came in, I was, I thought, okay, maybe this is going to be like modern day, you know, Elon Musk, Frank kind of guy who has loads of money. And, yeah, <laughs> and then he, you know, it was like, oh, he's dead, he, or he hasn't been seen for six years, <laughs> and then he just he he turned up and he was borderline bad Bond villain. It was like, I've been here all along, and I'm uh, you know, putting together this this elaborate ruse where I've hired somebody to do it, and it's kind of like he just showed up again, and then started giving you know that's why i said like a shit bong villain he started giving <laughs> elaborate speeches you know and it's yeah. like the speeches were just exposition i don't know i kind of i said to seb he reminded me of like a, a poor man's hugh jackman um <laughs> but i don't know i i think he could have been a good villain you know he's yeah. introduced mm-hmm. and we and we see him get somebody else to uh you know uh open the box and there was a great line he had where uh <clears throat> the first guy we see uh who opens the box the opening kill when he says you know would i get a prize and the yeah, guy goes I will. I will i thought that was that's a great villain line and if he'd have been more present if he'd have actually been a, hmm. a, a an actual villain in a part of this film not just he's mysteriously disappeared yeah. and he's fucking living in the walls. Well, I, I <laughs> like the Phantom thought, of the Opera, you know. I, I mean? thought her as a drug addict was actually going to play more into her actually falling into addiction. And I actually thought the puzzle part would have worked if he was someone who continued throughout the film to be the one that's drawing people there to do that. And she becomes part of that as part of her addiction to yeah. play that in that she needs it for a reason she needs money she's thrown out by her brother she gets drawn in kind of like someone off of the street and she gets drawn in one of those yeah. and when she actually completes when she's the one to complete it i thought that was w- what was going to start the whole releasing the cenobites and the kind of like that that whole thing plays out instead of each individual person having to be a sacrifice you know that's what i thought at yeah. first when i saw that scene i was like okay that could be quite cool the idea that this is more of that kind of puzzle to not necessarily reward but you know or it's a puzzle that actually leads to nothing and he's using them for that reason and then you could see how that would end up with him being the kind of the character that the Cenobites may end up turning on towards the end and you get a big brutal Frank style death and things like that but yeah no it didn't take that no I think if they (laughs) wanted to have some potential more social commentary then what they what I think they could have done is they could have had it you know they could have had her being an being an addict or her brother being an addict they could have had you know Voigt being there as this guy who's finding down and outs and giving them money to come and do these and to open the box and to act as sacrifices so he's more present Mm. and then you could have some kind of you know commentary on exploitation and you know disproportionate wealth and that kind of stuff but and his and his sex dungeon and his sex dungeon (laughs) instead (laughs) just yeah, that would that. I think that would have been, that again that might not be the most out of this world kind of plot, but I think it would have been a more interest like the bit that's teased at that start. I think it's more the idea more of how that came about. I think it's more interesting than actually what we got afterwards. Yeah, and I think also as well 
if they are kind of selling this version of the film on it more being about like self-harm and addiction and things like that and I think exactly what you guys have said that would play more into those themes and those themes would be more prominent if you've got people that are like recovering from self-harm or recovering from like addiction or like abused you know families or whatever it is and you've got them going through this kind of like carousel for him as like his sacrifices yeah the interesting thing though and I, I didn't really think about it until you'd mentioned the thing about uh Doug Bradley's pinhead earlier is that they offered him a cameo in this film and he turned it down and I can only assume from having now watched the film that he was offered the role of Voight and if Voight's mm. ending had stayed the same and he was to turn into a Cenobite that's perhaps why he turned the yeah role potentially down. and you kind of imagine what Doug Bradley would have done with the role and with the role of potentially been bigger um yeah. but yeah I think there is there is something that got lost in translation I think from story to screen because it does feel like either they there's a there's a director's cut of this film out there that's a lot longer or a lot of a lot of the larger themes and roles were trimmed in post in post scripting yeah. because it feels like there are a lot of chunks where it does jump from you know different set pieces and different themes and things like that but I, I have to ask you guys a question now and I think it'll be the last topic that we discuss I'm going to start with you because you've not really said a lot and I want to kind of I want, I want oh, to talk on, about go point. yeah go on so I kind of agree with what you're all saying. So the guy who plays him is potentially one of my favourite TV villains ever. Oh, here we go. I'm not <laughs> going to talk about it. Don't worry, babe, you're safe. Um, but he's like a villain in one of my favourite TV shows for like a season. And he's amazing because he's just threatening enough and still very charming. And his character at the beginning of this movie feels very much like that. And you're both right, like him being that character through, through the whole film would have made way more sense. Or just killing him because he becomes a cheap Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah, <laughs> he does, because he does. He even basically has a and these meddling kids moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this fucking film. And it's such a waste because he's a great actor. What was the series he was in? Um, Leverage. Okay. Uh, I was yeah. wondering if I'd seen it, but I don't. He's been a villain in a few things. He was in <laughs> Santa Clarita Diet. Which yeah, I've heard about the short-lived yeah, Netflix. He was quite good. Great villain. Yeah, and yeah, I feel like they really, really wasted him in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, just the way the where his character goes to, and the thing is as well is with the design they give him for when he's got the sensation machine in him. Yeah. Like it's so dumb, and I would have preferred it to have been like. If they were going to do that, like as if like his body had become more like clockwork, you know, so you go, you see like the watch faces that have got the exposed yeah. mechanisms. If it had been more like that, of like his organs had been replaced by clock pieces and everything's still going through it, but it's getting crushed <laughs> through these mechanical pieces. I mean, I, I would have, pref- oh, yeah, <laughs> I would have preferred if it, I would. I think even I just thought it looked so stupid. I literally could have lived more with a, a literal clock that every time it hits twelve, a little hammer comes out and smacks him in the dick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that would. I think that would have been just yeah. as like. I can't live with this anymore. <laughs> it, it comes out and it's got one of those little Tweety birds with a hand. Yeah, or just a hand, a hand comes out every once in a while and just squeezes him down there for a while. Yeah. Or he has a constant squeezing grasp. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, but yeah. The design of the fucking sensation machine is dreadful. 
yeah, it looked like something from a re- from like Saw 3D, you know? Yeah. yeah. Where they're like, oh, we need. But if they're going to take Saw, then why not? Like, it literally could have been something that like literally tears off parts of his skin and like pulls it back and forth like every or something or exposes his nerves or yeah like there's anything it could have been but why it was we could have just had him shredded by hooks and stuff like that and instead of having a device on him he's just covered in scars that never heal and he's just pus and blood and weeping and he's just constantly in pain well, yeah because you know? they would have been a nice throw to frank because the, the one yeah. another one that annoys me with the bit of her brother where it shows the back of him like frank's yeah. form in the film and i was just there why couldn't you show the actor in full form talking to his sister like that again it would just have been cool to see that full skinless form a nice little wink kind of yeah. thing but instead we just get the back of him and then it's back to normal brother it's like why not show the brother in different disgusting states in a kind of American werewolf kind of style? You know what I mean? Like, give me a bit of that instead of just like constantly the brother just occasionally standing there, just be like, save me. Yeah. (laughs) You had a question. Yeah. So what I was going to say was, where where do you think they could go from here? And what what would you want to see from a sequel if there was one? I prefer they didn't make one, in all honesty. Okay. Is that all you It's have? my truthful answer. I really <laughs> would prefer if they didn't make one. Thing is, I feel like there's nowhere they could go with this that would at this point win me any goodwill. Mm-hmm. I'm so disappointed with what they did to the franchise. Which I say is, franchise. A lot. <laughs> I mean the first, I mean the first movie, in all honesty, is the film I mean. Yeah. Um, but I they did the one great villainous thing, which has been done to me previously by a different director remaking something I love, of taking a character who doesn't interact and doesn't get involved and turned them into a character who is egging someone on to do something. Because they did the same with the American remake of Death Note, where they made Ryuk far yeah. more active in like egging light to like kill people. And yeah. I'm like, Ryuk doesn't do that. And the same, Pinhead doesn't do that. Pinhead doesn't give a shit if you're killing people or not. He's just interested in, you opened my box. You have to, you have to pay the piper, baby. Yeah, that's it. Isn't it? <laughs> and what they've done is they've given us a female Pinhead and immediately gone, oh, but she's super villainous now, though, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And I, don't, I, don't, I feel like it wasn't on purpose, but it does kind of feel like they've gone, oh, well, Pinhead's going to be a woman now. I feel like she'd be a bit more petty and more violent because that's what women are like, mm. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, if we'd have had another male Pinhead in this, I feel like they probably wouldn't have had him egging on the character to kill people. Yeah. It's probably not true. It would have probably been the exact same script, but going from a character who is very, like, non-involved to somebody who's there like you need to kill more people baby yeah <laughs> it, it does feel like they've got we've got a woman playing her so she needs to be way more petty yeah what about what about you guys what what would you hope for with a sequel and do you want to see one i i would i would be ha- ha- i as much as we, it feels like and i'm sure to anyone listening it probably feels like mega mega negative i i didn't complete i didn't completely hate the film i i i think from what i've seen of the franchise and know the low bar that was actually set already with the franchise that 
I, th th this isn't a bad enough made film that I can say that it is a bad film. I, I still think it's, I still think, I, I was still yeah. able to sit, we still watched the whole film. I was yeah. still far able to find it enjoyable as a horror film. I still enjoyed elements of that. I did think that the Cenobites looked good. Yeah. Like it for their form, it just, I preferred the more minimalist look of, of the original films. So I could see those characters going. I didn't even completely hate like Jay, uh, the the pinheads for them in some ways. Yeah, yes, there were right. there were questionable things, and I would say bring it much back. Like take, don't give us more, give us less of the characters, and possibly less cinnabites in, in general. Because I, I'm going to keep <laughs> saying it. Those cinnabuns <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, like, but they. I do think they've, yeah, they definitely need to bring that back. And that they, I do think that they do still need to look at what worked with the original kind of film. And I think in general, yes, because you got, just because you got a bigger budget doesn't mean that we actually have to necessarily go bigger. I think sometimes bringing it back down to a little bit more of a minimalist approach like the original had might actually help the film. I think maybe like focusing and fo focusing on more of that kind of, nefarious character actually seemed to work for the franchise yeah. and you know just make it more erotic guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> just make it more yeah i just i, I think that's i think that's what fun. like all of the original like the original trilogy of films had a bit of that to it you know not so much the second one did quite as much if i remember not as much but yeah the third one definitely did that third was that was almost more like in a kind of coma right? <laughs> Where we find out they're called the Order of the Gash. No, find that in the first one. Do you? They're never referred. I to think it's the second one. Yeah. Oh, is yeah. it? Oh, I thought it was. Yeah. So I mean, it might not be sexy, but it is the Order of the Gash. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it's Clive. Clive, like you know, Clive Barker's obviously, uh, you know, idea, and Clive Barker with the original, <laughs> as weird as mentioned last time, that it almost seemed sometimes like he just wanted a film that included tearing someone apart and having <laughs> erotic sex. Yeah. Kind of vanilla erotic sex, like we said, but a bit of both of those kind of, of things. But I don't see what was bad about that. Like he kind of, the way he made it, gave it this, he, he respected the mythology, but he also right. didn't feel like he had to go on about it all day. Like yeah. He's the creator of that mythology. So if he can have restraint and not talk about it and have to shove it down everyone's throat, then I don't quite see. And I, I like Simon earlier, what you said about Ariasta. I can see that link. It does feel like what, why did you try so hard to kind of, I understand like extending the law or making a new mythology for a new reboot, but I don't quite understand why he started to think it was so interesting because it really wasn't. It was the, it bogged down sections of this film majorly. Like he didn't need to do it. And I'd also go to that purely because I think Ariaster's is very overrated. So. Yeah. <laughs> Your um, turn, Robbie. For me, I, it's, this Hellraiser was too clean and it was too conventional. I would, I, I backseat the Cenobites, so they're not the main villains, you know. Yet again, we would I'd have a nefarious character, an absolute dredge who you don't like. <laughs> um, it, it, the Cenobites shouldn't be so clean. Itself, you know, it, like this one we mentioned in the episode when we covered the first one that you just there's lots of cockroaches and there's lots of maggots. And in the second one, there's one of the grossest scenes I've ever seen in a horror film. And it's where one of the, uh, they have the mental institution 
And one of the uh, people who was in there believes that they have maggots all over their skin. And there's shots of them itching it and scratching it off. And it's so gross. Mm. And it's so Hellraiser, you know? And that's what it needs to be. You You need to play with more themes of, you know, pleasure and pain and the dark side of people. You need it to be to be gross and to not look clean. You need to not have the Cenobites at the front of it. I mean, I will I will watch another one. I'm going to go through and watch all of them because I just want to. You know, it's a world and it's law that I love. But I just think it needs to not be so clean and not be so conventional and not be yeah. so by the books, you know? Yeah. That's I think I... I think I said to Lee, like, this came across more like Heck Razor rather than Hellraiser. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think for me, having seen this one, and I'm probably going to get crucified by all the people that have, like, loved this movie, is I didn't think that this movie did anything particularly different to any of the director video sequels in, in the setup. Like, there's nothing that says that this movie is different to, like, these other films. I feel like if they're going to make sequels, they need to go the Assassin's Creed route. They need, there's so much untapped lore and untapped. Um, and they kind of, they kind of deal a little bit in it in Bloodline where they go into the future and they go into like 17th century France, 1996 and then 2027. Yeah. And I feel like that's what you need to do. The idea of so many different cultures and so many different religions and belief systems encountering this box, the idea that they could go all over the world, they could go to like somewhere like Japan, where the the borders of pleasure and pain and what you can do and things like that are are more widely accepted in in a society like that. Or you take it all the way back to kind of like Jack the Ripper times when like, you know, sex work was in its infancy and it was becoming more of a thing that rich people did on the sidelines or you you kind of take it to a different, you, you know, you, you introduce the Cenobites to someone who's a Catholic or a Buddha yeah. or, you know, a Muslim or like a, a, a Jewish person. Like you, you introduce it like what, because their ideas of like what they believe in their culture and their religions are so different to generic white Christian America that we've seen in all of these other movies that I just think they're leaving money and creativity on the table if they don't start setting these movies in different time periods or having them encounter different cultures and things like that. Because, you know, as we've quite rightly said over two episodes now, these movies are about pleasure and pain and the belief in like heaven, hell, you know, sexual adventures and things like that. And it's like, so why is it we've got 10 movies of vanilla white dude opening a box and like, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, in middle America somewhere? See, I agree with you. I think it'd be cool to sit places in other places. Um, but it was something you guys said about, because oh, I've not seen the second movie, about it being set in an insane asylum. Yeah. Well, it's set in the same, it's similar to, it carries on, almost instantly after the first one so Kirsty has now been institutionalized uh julia escapes from hell this time and yet again yeah, yeah without <laughs> julia without skin is a flex but yeah. then there's a guy called dr channard who he runs the mental um asylum facility whatever we call it 
and he is obsessed with the Cenobites. Okay. So he, yeah. Obviously, the first film kind of deals with it. It's kind of implied at one point of like Kirsty's kind of feels like she's going insane because weird stuff keeps happening around her. She nearly gets institutionalized in the first film. And obviously, the movie kind of shows Julia's slow descent into madness. Yeah. Trying to bring Fred, um, Fred Frank, Frank back. Frank, yeah. The second film again dealing with like mental health. And I feel it's interesting that the, the franchise kind of has seem to have moved away from that to a degree because I feel like that's the perfect space to kind of fit these movies Mm -hmm. because when your grasp of fantasy and reality is thinner and like the line between the two is thinner something like this in a situation like that would play in so many different ways of like we talked about how this could have shown addiction of like her, her like she's imagining it or not like you take this film but you relocate it for somebody who is dealing with mental health problems and like this would have been a totally different film because there's so many different ways you can use this film to portray the different like issues that are faced by people with mental health problems Mm. so i don't know why we went she's an addict but we're not going to address that like yeah. if you're going to make it and try and make it a social issue like set it in you know an inner city and like a mental institution of like people who are struggling to deal with reality day to day anyway yeah i think i think a fascinating take on it now that you've said that and i don't know if it would be a controversial take would be to take a character like james mcavoy's character in split that has borderline personality disorder and one of the personalities has that idea that they want to open the box, but then the other personality doesn't. And then what does Pinhead do then? Like, you can't collect a soul from someone who's split in two, essentially. You, you know, yeah. you kind of... You know my feelings about I know, but I'm just, as a plot you know, in films. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it opens up a lot of interesting questions. When Very you start. strong feelings about that. No. Yeah, I, I, would, I completely agree about, well, all, all of those ideas. Like... I do think that there is, and just in generally in horror across the board, that we are we are so used to the, I know most of these are funded by America and most of these are made in America, <laughs> but it just it is getting to the point now where, and it's also a bit stupid because the, the money that they can make around the world now is so much bigger and people are in different countries, like China, for instance, they can make so much fucking money in China if they actually yeah. point it towards that audience. So why do we not have more films with, you know, set in, say, China? But just in general, they're just so scared to go away from that standard archetype that you said of the white male kind of, or the white female. Like, even in this, I expected this reboot to have somewhat of it, like, at least, like, it's a different gender, but race or creed or like something but it was all i expected to see this in the film but i didn't i'm not saying that makes it any difference for me but like like you said i kind of think like the most recent who look like prey yeah i think they did the completely right thing they took it out and it's made suddenly everyone's like oh my god what if you mix predator with the yakuza again but in the actual time period or any of those things and suddenly it's like i could completely see where i that franchise i could now see going for decades just yeah. based on go to a different time period each time and i completely see and i think several other horror franchises could do exactly the same by changing up the setting changing up the area 
you know, changing up the way they do it. And it could work across most, most yeah. major franchises. Cause I'm, you know, there are certain ones that are very much stuck in where they are, but some of them could absolutely delve out into much more interesting places, Yeah, but they still don't. Hopefully something like prey will make them think, Oh shit, yeah. that worked better. Let's try that. <laughs> well, like the idea that immediately sprang to mind when I was talking about that was the idea of going back to like ancient Rome so you've got this idea that people are like watching, you know, people being torn apart by lions, being torn apart by gladiatorial shows, people reveling in other people's suffering. You get a Roman dictator or a Roman leader with the fucking lament configuration and he's got all these people that are already a captive audience that are reveling in suffering. You chuck Pinhead in the middle of that. That's just fucking money on the table, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think the problem with doing something like that, though, is it would more than likely end up turning out into an all-in-all slasher. Mm. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And that's the big... You've got to find the fine line with Pinhead as a character and, like, I feel like with a Hellraiser movie of finding the very thin line between gore and intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And some little BDSM sexiness stuck in. <laughs> That's what people come to the franchise for, let's be honest. Yeah. But, like, it's a really fine line. I feel like if you make... And I've been pretty sure later films in the franchise, they have done this. They've made Pinhead a slasher villain. Yeah. If he's, like, basically hunting and killing yeah. people. But that's not... When you look at the, cre- the, the creature that Clive Barker created, that's not what the Hell Priest is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think the... But I'd rather have either the intelligent, like they've tried with the original or the full-on just death instead yeah. of having something that wants to play it right yeah. down the middle like this film did <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just tries so, to play safe in aware what would your guys final thoughts be on this movie and your ratings out of five um for me it's it's too clean it's far too safe it's not without some good atmosphere and some good moments but i it's either two 2.5 or three out of five depends how nice i'm feeling what about you <laughs> <laughs> um as i said i i found it i found it enjoyable enough it, it's a it was a watchable horror it's literally straight down it would be probably be a free for me yeah. it'd be straight down the middle like I, I can't say there are things that i hate so much that i'm going to be like violently annoyed by it because i'm not but yeah. then if I'd like, if I was more, if I'd watched this at an earlier age, maybe I would have probably yeah. <laughs> all of the films. And I'm, but I also don't think it goes anywhere, but just being a standard kind of horror film, it doesn't do anything new in terms of myth. Like, I don't think the mythology expands that much. It doesn't add much. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't give character. And, and I, you know, with Hellraiser, I want, like we said before, I want to see characters that are, that are like flawed and early in the film when Riley seemed to me quite unlikable and flawed, I was like, it's all right because she's going to keep making horrible mistakes and therefore she's probably going to end up getting torn apart by the end of this film. But she didn't end up being that. She ended up just, they ended up trying to make her the sympathetic and I think that's a failure as well. So it's that kind of balance between like, every time I think of something I like, there was also something I didn't like. And even the things I did like, there were flaws to each of them. So yeah, it's like a, it's a straight down the middle. It's a watchable horror film. I think anyone could watch it. I I don't think anyone will be too violently annoyed by it, but some people might be. (laughs) What about yourself? So I really love 
the direction in the movie. I think it's beautiful. It is a very stunning film. There are some excellent, really clever shots, but that's just, I feel that's just David Brock there. Brock Daddy. Brock Daddy. Brock Daddy. Um, especially the shot at the beginning when he kills the first guy and it's the shot of him holding the lament configuration and you can just see him being raised in the background. Yeah, that was awesome. That is a beautiful <laughs> shot. Um, I really love Jamie. I think Jamie is fantastic as the Hell Priest. I think she does a really good job with what she is given to work with, with that character. And I was going to give it a three. And then you reminded me how much I fucking hate Riley. (laughs) (laughs) The worst. I'm giving it a 1.5. Oh, wow. That's a big drop. (laughs) Yeah. I I think Riley is the second most annoying horror protagonist this year outside of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the main sister in that movie. The main difference is that girl got her comeuppance and she got decapitated and it was all crazy at the end of the movie because you finally got to see the little shit get her comeuppance. In this, you don't get that payoff. Um, I think you're right. I think Jamie Clayton is a bright spot in a film where there are few and far between bright spots. Um, all of the Cenobite actors actually because they yeah. all do a really good job with what they're given I think I think the Cenobites were great I think they are a little bit overused in the second half of the movie yeah. they they should have been teased more in the start of the movie rather than just trying to cram them into the Home Alone section of the yeah. film um, I think this is a franchise that is boasting a dramatic reinvention as part of its marketing and basically what that means is we've made Pinhead a woman. Because let's be honest, everything else is exactly the same. This is Hellraiser by numbers. Yeah. Um, but it's it's on a streaming service and they've changed the gender of Pinhead, which they think gives it more prestige than what it being direct-to-video would. Um, I think in terms of a final girl, I don't think Riley is anywhere near on on Kirsty Cotton's level. Oh no. And I don't I don't think that um Voight is anywhere near Frank's level. I think this is basically like somebody taking Clive Barker's Hellraiser and putting a piece of tracing paper over it and just kind of tracing it but then like adding a little bit of their own shading in to kind of be like <laughs> hey look guys it, it, it's it is different. But they but, fuck the picture up with the shading. Yeah. It just yeah. Lines a little bit too much, really fucked yeah. up. You know those, you know those like that meme where it's like <laughs> the horse starts off really majestic and then it's kind of like a stick figure of a horse at the end. Yeah. 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 That's what? kind of how, how yeah. this movie it starts as a wonderful stallion coming out of the gates, and then it looks like the fucking horse from Toy Story at the end yeah. of it. <laughs> I was more thinking um when Homer Simpson's trying to build that barbecue, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he says this is a lovely barbecue. Why doesn't mine look like that? And the thing is, it's so disappointing because The Night House is one of my favourite horror movies of the last 10 years. It's everything you want from a horror movie. It's scary, it's inventive, it's like endlessly rewatchable, and it stays with you. I saw this movie fucking two hours ago, and I there's large chunks of this movie that I've already forgotten, which I I think kind of kind of says it all. Really, it is. 
when we've uh, as you all I can think about that because you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just just the fact that I remember that is it's very much in that vein. I I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, mishandled and didn't understand the point of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre even more than I think David Bruckner maybe kind of lost what was good about Hellraiser here. That one was even more disappointing doing a whole legacy thing that makes no fucking sense if you haven't got yeah. a legacy woman to do it. And also just understand, not understanding what makes a character scary in the first place. But yeah, that's all I could think of that link when you said about that was like, we've got two reboots in the same, you know, like that was, yeah. you know, that was a, a what, prequel or whatever. I don't know, sequel, whatever it was meant to be. But we've got two of those in the same year. And it's just interesting that it just does seem to come down to like, they both looked good and yet they deeply, I think, misunderstood what made yeah. them interesting. I won't take the bad mouth of Brooke Daddy though, because yeah. this is not Brooke Daddy's fault. It's whoever fucking wrote the film needs to be blamed. Well, it does feel Robert David Ross. S. Goyer. Yeah. David S. Goyer, I actually felt it's all over this. David yeah. S. Goyer. David Escoyer. Yeah. David F. if you look at his films, it worked in The Dark Knight, but even if you really pay attention to The Dark Knight, he over-explains a lot of shit in that movie. He is that an over-explainer in films. <laughs> he likes to dig into mythology and then just have long scenes of people talking. Luckily, in that film, he had uh, Christopher Nolan and he had amazing actors making it look good. They don't he have tried, the same. He tried here. to make a Rico case sound sexy. He's like, "Hey guys, all these dudes are getting banged up on a Rico case." Yeah. I spent half the movie talking about a fucking Rico case. <laughs> the only writer director I have ever it's ever not pissed me off when they spend hours with like of characters just talking with like exposition. Yeah. Is um, what's his face? Who did Midnight Mass? Oh, Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan is the only writer who can get away with just having like nothing but characters talking for 20 minutes with just exposition. Because it's yeah. amazing. It makes because it magnetic it... as fuck. I mean, yeah. it's not horror, but Aaron Sorkin for me is the one that does yeah, that. If you know that, if you've seen the West Wing or Newsroom. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll give you him so, social networks. Because that's up. all his shows are, is just talking. <laughs> it mainly is all it is. Uh, earlier, we had many talks about the meme, and there is one thing, and this is kind of a link to both episodes and kind of bringing them together because I almost had a Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time meme moment when Voight showed Dong. Oh yeah, he showed we had Voight Dong at the end. It, it, I think it was a smoothed out Cinnabite kind it of was, style, yeah. but it was, we got Dong. Yeah, <laughs> and I had to bring that and mention it to say, just to combine these two episodes because I feel a theme was eroticism in Dong. Yeah, <laughs> it, it felt that, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to drop one last controversial opinion before I peace out with my score. Candyman by Naya DaCosta, Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Daniel Blue Garcia, Hellraiser by David Bruckner, Scream by Radio Silence. Scream is the only requel, reboot, legacy sequel, whatever the fuck you want to call it, by directors who came from the indie scene that actually fucking nailed it yeah i agree for the most part I nah. the screen reboot the was all right it was good yeah it was all right out of those four out of those four films then it, it seems a lot it's it's i the, mean i yeah. could re-watch that screen one 
more than I could. I I I don't really have much interest in rewatching and like any of the other three. Actually, I don't know. I will rewatch this Hellraiser. Yeah, I don't have a huge interest in it though. I don't have any interest in rewatching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But if you're talking and about, I can't remember what the other one was. What was yeah. the other one? Uh, Candyman. Candyman. If you're yeah, talking about that film, one, either yeah. I I thought that was okay, was right. but it, I would put that. I would probably put that slightly higher because I there were some things I liked about it, but. It's still, it's, it was just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if you're talking about what is most, you know, faithful and hits the source material, then yeah, scream. But in terms of if I wanted to sit down and just watch a film out of all of those four, it would be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was just more fun. It's, it's a really short movie as well. You can yeah. knock that out like 80 minutes and it's like... I, I, yeah, I watched it again <laughs> after we did our episode. And it was, it was like seventy. I think it was like seventy-eight or seventy-five yeah, minutes with, without the uh, you know <laughs> credits. And yeah, I mean it's it's not. I mean it's how I don't know how it it doesn't work as a follow-up to the original, but it's a fun film and it's kind of it's gory enough. Whereas the others are just. Well, to, okay. be, to be fair though, I've got a major soft spot for Scream, so you I do. did watch yeah, Scream no matter what, any of them, no matter what. You've got a major soft spot for Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre, and you liked a lot of the sequels, which that I went back true. and watched and thought most of them were awful. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I do remember. Quite unwatchable. <laughs> yeah, that is true. We've had this conversation though, I am legit yeah. terrified about what this new Evil Dead movie is going to be like. Yeah, I am yes. fucking scared to death. I guess we'll have to roll the dice, yeah. aren't we? Oh, <laughs> the my... two sisters, it sounds like maybe they might have done a similar approach to the rest of these. They've tried to take it into this modern kind of, and have they completely fumbled it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my score for Hellraiser, since you just put oh, that, yeah. I haven't given it. Yeah. Two and a half, 2.5. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 2.5 out of 5. Um, road, just like yeah. this film. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so before, yeah. before we cut you guys loose and let you go, where can the people find you? What, what have you guys got coming up in the pipeline? What, what are people looking out for? Uh, so you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at CMTH Podcast and on TikTok. Um, on Apple, Spotify, all of your usual you know, podcast websites, Cast Me to Hell Podcast, you can find us. We haven't actually done our November uh, schedule yet, have we? So we don't really know what's uh, going I, to be coming out next. <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends when this one with the UK release and things like that. It depends when this one's going out because yeah. obviously we've mainly just got our Halloween lineup and that's where about as far as we've got to at this point in time. We know that we'll hit on a major thing. Yeah. You've got a few guest things that you want to go yeah. in the pipeline, but no, we've got nothing completely confirmed. We kind of just go with it. We're not nearly uh, the, the way that you just pump out content yeah. <laughs> is uh, always amazes us that you're able to like ha- get so much out it's it's properly inspirational yeah. we're there like we're barely getting the next episode out in times we're like oh shit can we actually meet up to even yeah. record this week <laughs> we are literally like we are we are not on top of it in that way at all so the no. fact you've got so many is uh yeah, is amazing is. that you're able to pump so many out <laughs> yeah I will, I will tell you something terrifying um we already have all of 2023's lineup, barring one month, already planned out from the start of January right up until the end of December. We know <laughs> that is amazing. Exactly what every every month's theme is. We know basically what the five by five will be, the crossing the stream, and we have all of the episodes. The only <laughs> thing we haven't done yet is we haven't plugged in a schedule for new films. Yeah, 
April. April is the only month we haven't. Got. My month hasn't been filled yet because I've got no fucking clue what I want to cover. <laughs> we, we we should be like you. I, I'm literally seven weeks away from her, what my first child yeah. being born, and I'm like, when the hell am I going to record when this is born? <laughs> so we should be like you, but sadly we are we are not. Yeah. Uh, I guess that I guess it helps that you live with the person you're recording with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not split. Yeah. Our, 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 our women get in the way. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they get in the way of our sordid love affair. Yes. You know, we can't I, be together all the time. Yeah. I will let out I will let out a little spoiler for um next year. And it's because I want to invite you guys on, and it's going to be one of two episodes. So I'll give you guys the choice. In July of next year, we are covering Freddy versus Jason oh, for the, the 20th anniversary. And we are also covering X-Files Fight the Future for the 25th anniversary of that film. I love, I love them both. <laughs> so, I'll do them both. I love them both. Ruminate and let us know which one you want to come on for. Oh, well. <laughs> both, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love them both. But we will look forward to having you guys on to cover some Evil Dead in April as well. Uh, looking at the 10th anniversary of the 2013 one. We'll figure out who's doing which episode. But yeah, yeah it'd be cool to, to have you guys on again and, and look at some Evil Dead action. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, thank you, Seb and Robbie, once again for uh, bolding in our lives. This was a, this was a less chaotic, less sexual episode. Yes. When I, we, I tried my damned hardest. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the film wasn't as erotic. No, I, I I tried to introduce some dong. It just wasn't. That. No. <laughs> and as always, you can find us on Twitter at s i m a h f pod. And Tumblr and Instagram at So I Married a Horror Fan, all one word, all lowercase. Um, once again, guys, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure talking with you guys. And um, yeah, let's let's do this more often. Um, but yeah, thank you once again, guys. Uh, we're going to sign off now. Stay spooky. Stay safe, guys. Take care. <laughs>